I'm Ian Dallimore, and this is Digital and Dirt. You can't be saying a whole lot, so whatever you're saying, it has to grab your attention. Or you could be very limited and specific, but instead you're playful and fun with the brand. Adorme's overall goal is to move the entire industry in the same direction. All right, welcome back, guys. All right, my next guest, I call her a friend we just met in La Jolla a couple of weeks back, but she was born on a South Pacific island called Pala. Palau. Palau. I knew I was going to run it, and we even practiced that, Palau. <laughs> uh, and then she moved over to Chicago, drastically different world, lived in both Cincinnati before moving on to New York. She's a huge book reader, and before we started recording, I asked her what her go-to book was, and it's uh, Beneath the Scarlet Sky. And she most recently ran a New York marathon last year. My new friend, Layla Funk, copywriter at Adorme. Great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. And it, it, it was so great to meet you a few weeks ago. So I'm, I'm super, super excited to be here today and to talk to you. Yeah. And you did such a fantastic job on stage speaking the last day. And I was like, I got to have her on the podcast. But on Media Post does a fantastic job of their conferences. And so we got to go off on a couple of excursions. So you and I got to chat a bit. And we might as well dive right into it. Most of our guests that we have on the podcast, they kind of have this like sequential journey, you know, i.e. started out passionate about the agency world, you know, then moved their way throughout the different agencies, maybe popped over to a brand or vice versa. But your story really stood out to me. And I think I called it out on stage too, because I'm, I'm a huge creative person, but more importantly, I understand the importance of copywriting. And so I would love for you to just kind of dive into your journey from where you started, which is kind of funny when you think about most copywriters, their journey is just that it's a lot of writing, but share with our listeners a little bit about your beginning. So you went to the university of Dayton and you studied what? Yeah, I, it's definitely a, a very, very unconventional career path, but yes, I went to the university of Dayton and my undergrad was in finance and information systems. And I did have a minor in English, but I never in a million years would have thought that that would be a career that I would pursue in any capacity. I really just, I had the minor because I liked reading and I liked writing and I knew I was good at it. So I was like, why not just like tack it on to have fun. But after I graduated, I went to finance and IT route. I used to be an IT auditor at Ernst & Young, which is a vastly different career than where I'm at now. I, I must say that I, I had a great experience there and I liked what I did. I think my biggest, really my biggest catalyst for making a career jump into copywriting for a lingerie brand was the, the pandemic. I think when, when I was doing IT audit, I was going to client sites and sometimes in the office, sometimes, sometimes I was at the client site. I was like interacting with my colleagues who were amazing and they, they really made the experience what it was. And when the pandemic hit and we started working from home, all of the fun things about that job, like all of my favorite parts about that job were kind of stripped away from me. And I was just left with like the technical work, which I was good at, but that was the really the only reason I liked it. I didn't find any, I was not passionate about IT audit and I didn't find a ton of joy in it. So, you know, after a while I was just kind of sitting there and was like, why, why am I doing this? <laughs> so yeah, I kind of set out on, I, I made it a point to, try to tap into writing or into a, a more creative field. And I landed at Adore Me and I'm, I'm really, really lucky that they, they took a leap of faith and they, they took a chance on me as a copywriter with genuinely very little to none copywriting experience. But 
yeah, that's kind of how I landed where I am today. Yeah. And I love this story. And, you know, um, oftentimes on the podcast, people ask like, well, why, why do you talk about the journey? And I think it's, it's so important. So for you, you know, you kind of discussed it a little bit. Uh, I have to be careful because where I record from is very close to our internal auditor. But I have a, a lot of friends that went through like the auditing program here at LSU and they were just like, oh, it's so, so much fun. You get to do three semesters and you get to go through all this auditing. And I, and some of them are still actually work for that company and a few others. And we have internal auditors come in all the time and it's, you know, they're oftentimes looked at as like the black sheep, like nobody talk to them. Like when they come in, like, don't talk to them. Yeah. And, yes. And, <laughs> I remember being treated that way. <laughs> yeah. You're like, why is no one talking to me? Like early on in your yeah. career. But you know, it's also fun because it's, we talk about the journey of a lot of our amazing guests like yourself, because we always say this, like if you're going down the same path and it's like, yeah, I'm really good at this, but I'm not passionate about it. And for you to be able to identify and live in that moment where it was like, this is not fun. And oftentimes I think careers get masked by, you know, the ability to do a lot of fun things. It's like, oh, well, I get to take clients to Knicks games or I get to take clients to Dodgers games and get to do all these things. But to your point, when the pandemic happened, all the fun was stripped away and it was like, oh shit, this is my real job is heads down. And again, like you said, it's not a, it's an amazing career. It's uh, very respectable and much needed but I love the fact that you transitioned not only to become a copywriter, because you could have become a copywriter, technical copywriter for Ernst mm -hmm. Young and in that kind of field, but for you to go to a brand, and I'm going to get you to talk about Adore Me, but to go from where you were, well-established company to not a startup, but a newer brand. Close to it, yeah. Close <laughs> to it, yeah. So give our listeners a little bit more about um, Adore Me and who you guys are. And, you know, maybe we'll touch a little bit on, on your responsibilities day to day there. Yeah. Um, so Adornly for anybody that doesn't know is a lingerie and intimate apparel brand. We were founded in 2010 and really our mission when we were founded was to bring extended sizing and plus size lingerie to the market. I'm sure everybody knows that during 2010, that was not the norm. It was actually very, very unheard of despite how commonplace it is today. So we're super proud as a brand to have been the first retailer to bring extended sizing lingerie to the market. And we've grown a ton since then. But yeah, that's a little bit about who we are. We are headquartered in New York. We have an office over here in Soho. That's where I sit. And we also have an office in Bucharest, Romania, which is where all of our technical engineers are based out of. And I've been actually super lucky to travel over there and meet the team and it's it's amazing over there. <laughs> and we also have an office in um, Paris as well. We have a lot of leadership sitting in Paris. Yeah. And it's, it's a, a very interesting brand. So let's jump right into that. It's, you know, we live in a world now where marketing and advertising, I think there was a, this moment and I don't know when the exact date was, but we'll just call it like mid, you know, 2015 ish, 2016, where it, you really started to begin to f have brands that were really becoming more mainstream like what society actually looks like today. And we've had this conversation mm -hmm. Layla, with a lot of our guests where on the advertising side specifically is we often sit in this space and we don't realize like our ad campaigns that we project, especially on billboards, like it has an influence on society and on these micro micro communities where 
it may impact where if all you see, and I always love to use this example, you know, when you watch any of the uh, TV shows in the fifties, it was like very beautiful family. Dad got ready in the morning, rolled out with the newspaper. Mom had her apron on with like tons of pancakes stacked up. It was always two little boys. Yeah. White picket. (laughs) Nobody had a girl, a daughter ever, which was crazy except for the neighbor down the street. But as a society (laughs) on the ad side, what you guys were really focused on And it was probably unintentional. It was just kind of like, well, this is the people that order our products. Just like we have these very fit individuals, we also have plus size and we have medium size and we have different variations of who actual women are. So let's go down that path. And it was like you said, I, I would love for you to dive a little bit more because I always think about, and most people think about like Victoria's Secret and they even made that transition Mm -hmm. as well, where it was always like, okay, this is the staple of what a Victoria's Secret model looks like. And it was typically probably a size two or zero and yeah. that's who walked the runway. Yeah. It's hard for me. I It's hard to tell like when that transition started to started to happen. I'm trying to look back and trying to remember when I first kind of started to see it become a little bit more commonplace and I really can't put my finger on it. And I, I, I we were found in 2010. I was 13 then. So I was, I was a mere young consumer. So it's, it's hard, right? It's not something that I was paying huge attention to, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to put your finger on it. And I think when, when we were first getting started, us introducing plus size laundry to the market, it wasn't, it wasn't like this. Oh, even though it, 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 it is and it should be, but it was, our intent wasn't like, Oh, like, this is empowering and like these people should be included. It was really just like, this is, there's a gap in the market. Yeah. Like nobody's selling this, <laughs> you know? So that's, that's really, that's all it was. It was a gap in the market and we started to fill it. And I think, I don't, I don't want to say that we got backlash in the beginning, but it definitely like, it just wasn't what cool. What we were doing was not cool in the beginning and it took mm-hmm. a little bit to catch on, I think. And I think still to this day, unfortunately, despite how commonplace, you know, plus size collections are and size inclusivity is as it should be, you still, like, you still get, like, nasty comments on Facebook and uh, on Instagram and on TikTok. Just gen- whenever you, you post, like, a plus size creator, it's, it's still something that, like, we're, we're receiving a little bit of pushback on, and I'm sure other brands feel the same way. But, yeah, it, it's really interesting to see how the, the evolution of that type of marketing and just, just retail Yeah. And it's a, having my, my wife owned a a high-end women's boutique years ago. And, you know, I just recall we would always carry high-end swim brands like Sea Folly and and a handful of others. And that was always like the focus. And even now to see those brands transition, those swim apparel brands, just like yourself kind of transition to everyday society. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate that we live in a world where there's nasty people out there that, that attack on social, but for you guys to stand firm And again, to your point, it wasn't like you were like, we're going to make a stand and and put this type of model on. It was just kind of probably, hey, this is a market that is that is underserved. And, you know, especially intimates and apparel, that's a very like you're you're stripping women down to their lingerie. Right. And to display that and to stand by that and be proud says a lot about the company and, and the ethics behind what Adore Me is. The other cool thing that I, that I did a little bit research on, but you guys also oftentimes a lot of small brands, startup brands early on, and they're spending so much of their money on logistics and, and outsourcing that. Maybe touch on that a, a tad because you guys did launch your own 
wholly owned logistics center. And it became the first year where you guys became profitable, which is massive and ironic all in itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I don't know how, I honestly, I couldn't tell you how, how commonplace this is between other brands, but we're really, really proud of the, the, the first logistics center that we, that we opened up fully owned and we've had, it's out over in Secaucus, New Jersey. So I've had the pleasure of going over there and like kind of seeing the operations and meeting the team there. And it's really, really cool. And we also opened a second one up in Tijuana, Mexico, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And that's, we opened one up over there to serve our West Coast customers to kind of even out the delivery time because when you're shipping to the West Coast from Chicago, New Jersey, it takes a while. So as we grew more in business, we were able to open up a second distribution center, which was, yeah, it's really cool. We're really proud of it. We're, we're really proud to not have had to outsource and like kind of go to a third party in that way. So yeah, yeah, it's great. I, I honestly, I wish I could give you more like nitty gritty details. I'm not too involved on that side as a copywriter, but it's definitely something that we're super proud of to be able to, to serve our customers quickly and efficiently and independently on both sides of the country. Yeah. So let's, before I dive oh. into the the big meat of the conversation that, that you and I discussed in La Jolla, what, talk to our listeners a little bit about being a copywriter for a lingerie intimate brand apparel and kind of your, how, how you go about you know, whether it's campaigns on social, whether it's campaigns, you guys have done quite a few out of home campaigns, touch on, touch on kind of your perspective and how you go about copywriting. Cause on the blog post, I'm definitely going to share some of the the fun little jabs that you take at, at different people in different neighborhoods on um, some of the New York digital displays that exist, but tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, your passion and how your copywriting skills come into play in such a unique brand where you could be very like pointed and specific, but instead you're kind of playful and fun with the brand and the, and the copywriting side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so fun. And I get the opportunity to be, to be really, really creative with it. Just given the nature of our product, <laughs> I think our, our brand voice doesn't tend to be like really overtly sexual. Like we try to be a little bit more on the playful side instead of the like explicitly sexual side Sometimes we do like lean into that side a little bit. I think as you saw with our most recent Valentine's Day campaign, we wanted it to be a little bit bolder. So kind of a little bit like what I discussed in when we were in La Jolla. When we're talking out of home, we do have to be, I as a copywriter have to be cognizant of the general public and like can't be saying anything too explicit regardless of like, despite the fact that we're selling lingerie, like the general public is seeing this, like your kids are seeing this, mm-hmm. you know, like you never know who's going to stumble across it, but Sometimes you do have to tailor the copy to be a little bit more tame in that way. But when it comes to like newsletters to our subscribers and like Instagram captions and things like that, that's where you can get like really, really creative and like kind of lean into also um, like, like pop culture and like trends, trending music. Miley Cyrus's flower song, like a couple of weeks ago, we were able to lean into that with like a floral bra that we had. So it's super fun to lean into like the culture and the pop, you know, trends and things like that. Yeah. And, and if you don't mind, maybe give a couple of examples. Um, I, I love the one, the Valentine's Valentine's Day campaign that you did and, and some of the copywriting and where you, you did kind of teeter that line. So maybe share a little, a, a few of those copy lines uh, with our listeners. Yeah, yeah. Valentine's Day is always, it's always super fun to, to work on. So this past year, we wanted the theme to be like the woman wishing out her Valentine's Day desires or wishes. And what we knew is that we wanted the digital out-of-home assets 
to be a little bit tamer, obviously, because we wanted them to get approved and we didn't want to get a ton of backlash. But we, at the same time, we knew we wanted the campaign as a whole to be bolder and sexier than really anything that we've ever done. So we were I struggled with finding a middle ground between those two. And it was a fun exercise. What we landed on was for like the website and social media and anything that was like not out of home. We landed on lick me, whip me, adore me. And like those are like the woman's Valentine's Day wishes. And it goes hand in hand with the imagery that we had in like the editorial photo shoots. But there was a picture of a model licking a lollipop and eating whipped cream. So it does go hand in hand with the copy and it was able to dial it down a little bit while still being like really, really sexy and bold. And then for out of home, we had a big push like in the New York City subway system, in Times Square, billboards, uh, bus shelters, everything like that. And we landed on, it was kiss me, surprise me, adore me. Mm-hmm. So definitely much, much tamer. It's funny because despite the fact that that was a way tamer version than what we had on the website and on social, we still got a little bit of, a little bit of slack for it. We somebody posted a TikTok and she was on the bus and she was saying, uh, great, now I have to explain to the kids that I babysit why you would ever want somebody to to teach you or surprise you on Valentine's right. Day. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's so, it's funny. It's on, it's on good, you know, it's on good nature. And I think we ended up like sending her a product, commenting back and sending her a product for her to like enjoy after she's done babysitting on Valentine's Day. But yeah, those are lines that we constantly have to go back and forth between in terms of copywriting. And it's, it's a challenge for sure. And it's, it's a learning curve. And it's unlucky in the sense that I'm never done learning when it comes to to writing in that sense, but yeah, it's, it's fun and it's challenging at the same time. Yeah. And it's so much fun for you to be able to, you know, be in, be in a smaller company compared to a massive corporation where you probably have to get run everything past legal. You can kind of become more nimble. And I think a lot of copywriters are kind of handcuffed with that as larger brands and having to run everything past legal, having to worry about every little thing. But it, it is fun because we live in a world today where you kind of want that babysitter to see it launch it on TikTok because now that's that. You want the shock factor. Yeah, you want that. And it it's fun. I, it always reminds me back when I was super young and way too young to have a job and I almost got fired from this minor league baseball team. <laughs> and ironically, I have the billboard still on my, my desk here, but the theme was, or the billboard said your kid could catch something, meaning like when you go to a minor league baseball game, like there's throws, you can, you know, walk in, give a bobblehead doll. There was more than the baseball game and you could catch a, a foul ball. So we came up with this fun tagline and we put it on billboards, Layla, and we had it on newspapers and I literally got bombarded. And this was a long time ago, 20 years ago. And I had moms like, oh my gosh, I can't, can't imagine. Like, what are you trying to say? Like you can catch a cold or a flu. And it was like, Jesus lady, like calm down. And, and and being way (laughs) too young in the role, I remember I actually said that to uh, someone that newspaper that called and interviewed me. It was like, what are your thoughts on this? And I said that I was like, well, you know, I have eight seconds to catch someone's attention on a billboard and less time on a newspaper. So I guess I did my job and I just, I'll yeah. never forget like getting pulled in. But in today's world, you're, you're probably applauded for that to have that social element, which makes it more impactful because that's the job, right? It's out of home can help, or even the newsletter, or even the Instagram, like what more and how, how much further can you take that message and that kind of playful brand voice that you you have the liberty to kind of play with. Yeah, exactly. Especially with with out of home assets, when you know who knows how long 
viewer is going to be looking at it, you only have like less than a sentence to say. You can't you can't be saying a whole lot. So whatever you're saying, it has to be impactful and it has to grab your attention. How close are you? So speaking of that, so not just an out of home, but just all media, probably more on the, the Instagram, TikTok side of things. How, how involved are you on when you're doing brand uh, photo shoots or even photo shoots with some of the models? Because looking at, looking at the content in La Jolla and then just exploring it's the website there, it's more than just the traditional lingerie photo shoot. It's a lot of fun. It's very colorful. How involved are you in that process and how involved are you kind of giving feedback on like what the, the shoot should look like because the copywriting text is going to be X? Yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, very little. I, I will say, so I also work a little bit on the CRM side. So I kind of like plan out the newsletters that I sent to our subscribers just for some background. So if there's, if I know, if I know a product is coming out and I think it's going to be really strong and I want like a, an amazing editorial shoot of it to, to feature in a newsletter, I, that's an, that's an opinion I can voice, but mm-hmm. I will say that our photo and design team are so intuitive about like what products are going to be strong, what's going to be a strong performer and like what we're generally going to need for our Instagram, our TikTok, our newsletters that like, I really don't need to have a time employed. They're, they're really good at what they do and they, they genuinely do not need my help. Yeah. And it's, but again, the, the creative itself and the photo shoots probably help your job that much easier to where you can play yeah, off of the sure. environment. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's really fun about our editorial photo shoots versus what I've seen from a lot of other brands is like, like you said, they're, they're so fun, but like we utilize props and like different, different locations and backgrounds, which makes it's so fun and easy to like kind of tie in like quirky little cheeky phrases into the copy. Yeah, for sure. And so jumping into one of the things was, was very surprising to me and maybe to a lot of listeners as well, you know, you and I, when we were prepping for this, it's sustainability is a word that is so easily thrown around and you can, you can call out BS on a lot of the the big corporations that are like, Oh, well we're sustainable just because we did one thing. And Maybe yeah. so I want what I want you to do is because I want to spend some time here. You guys are a certified B Corp supplier and you guys have a grade and, and you have this focus on that. So maybe kind of lean in a bit on that and some of the challenges that you face with a lingerie intimate apparel brand and being sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll start with, you know, like we did not start with sustainability in mind when we were first founded sustainability was so far like it it wasn't even close to the radar we didn't even know it was an option to put on our radar it was so far away so and there's so many brands that that started with sustainability as their their entire mission which is amazing but i think so many brands are kind of they don't know how to take the next step and don't know how to like kind of make the bottom up transformation towards being sustainable and it's that's that's what adorme is doing and it's, it's it's really, really cool to see. So many, like you said, the word sustainable is thrown around so carelessly and frequently that like, what does it even mean? Like nobody, nobody really knows like what sustainable means. And it's, it's a message that should, it shouldn't be amplified. It should be delivered with an asterisk. Customers need to know exactly what sustainable means and what it means for the product that they're buying. So that's, that's kind of what we're doing. But one of the biggest parts about our sustainability initiatives is that we've, created this it's called the Adorme impact matrix and we call it aim for sort but basically every product on our website internally has a graded score and it's one through five most of the products 
on our website are around a one. And that sounds really bad. Like it, it sounds like it's not that sustainable as a product. Those products are usually a lot, lot better than any other product on the market that's being labeled as sustainable. We're leaving, we're, we're labeling it as a one because it shows that's how much room we have for improvement. And that goes for any product on the market. There is, you can't just stop at sustainable. You can't just stop at recycled materials. There is so much more you can be doing, even outside of the composition of the product. It goes into air shipping versus sea shipping, you know, like where you're sourcing the materials from, the labor practices. It, it's, it's everything. And it's so, it's so deep rooted that like you, can, you can't just focus on the composition of the, of the garment. Yeah. And if I, I love, I'm, I'm looking at the site here and I, I kind of dove deep into it when I was prepping for this. It's, you know, again, when you think about a, a lingerie brand, oftentimes it's like, okay, yeah, coffee, sustainability, it makes sense. They're, you know, they're making sure where the farms are taking care of the communities within that. But very rarely do you think about a brand and you guys are the only U.S.-based company, lingerie company that is a member of the uh, a B Corp certified. And that's huge. Yeah, we're actually, yeah, we're the first lingerie brand in the United States to become a B Corp. And uh, that, yeah, it's something we're super proud of. I think it's especially hard for lingerie because, you know, it's easy to make 100% recycled cotton t-shirts. There's nothing, yeah, there's not easy. a lot of components to that. But when it comes to like a bra or lingerie, now we're talking underwires, class, lace, up to 10 different types of material. Like you're working with a really, really inherently complex product. So to try and find materials that are just quote unquote sustainable, whether that be recycled or a preferred fiber, a preferred fiber that also provides the same support and touch feel as a virgin fiber would, that's really, really difficult. And what we're trying to do is we're taking all of all of our products, but we're starting with really like our best sellers, the, the products that our customers love the most. And we're trying to make those sustainable without our customers even noticing. They shouldn't realize that it's a different product. It should have the same feel, same support, same look, everything, just better. It should be made better. And we've been we've been able to do it and it's 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 a journey. It's, it's a long journey. Um, and it's it's not easy with lingerie and bras, but like when I say it has been like a bottom up transformation, it is in every corner of our business from our suppliers to the sourcing of our raw materials to even the conversations that we're having internally. It's everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it, we talked about it a bit. It's so easy to fake it and just to like put that, that name. And, and there's some, there's some massive grocery store companies that a lot of people are believe are sustainable. But when you start to look at those yeah. products and you're like, mm, you're falsifying what you're doing. So I love that, that you and the adore me team, you put a one, and to your point, one is actually significantly better than most, but you're holding yourself and your company accountable to do more. And one of the things that I love about it, obviously I'm not a, I'm not a buyer of the product, you know, for my wife, I, I have purchased things and she actually shops on the site, but understanding like the supplier selection. And I will definitely put this link because I love this section of your website, the sustainability, but supplier selection, like purely better understanding like who is making the product, where is it coming from? What is the source material that it's coming from? And again, for a, for a, um, a category like lingerie, it is something that most people don't think of, nor do they sought after. Like I'm going to buy a lingerie brand that has sustainable, but I believe that it really starts to tell us a better story. I use this, or I purchased this clothing brand called Copax and it's an Iranian based company. And every single vest that you buy 
They tell you where all the materials came from. You know, some of them may be parachutes. Some of them may be different materials that are kind of sourced all together. And then the cool part of the story is you get a note on who actually stitched together that product. And I know that's a big yeah. part of what you guys do as well. So maybe touch on that a tad as well. The personalization yeah, I and mean, sustainability. <laughs> I mean, from a supplier standpoint, we have really, really close relationships with our manufacturers and we've actually been working with our biggest manufacturer on their goals for the future and kind of, kind of how, how they plan to take sustainability to the next step. And then in terms of other suppliers that, that we've worked with in the past that were a little bit smaller, we've actually decided to not move forward with suppliers that didn't have already existing sustainability initiatives plans for the future, which I think, I think says a lot, but yeah, we're, we're working really, really closely with our manufacturers to, I mean, when it comes to different technologies, to use less water in the manufacturing process or, you know, decrease chemical runoff into water streams and things like that. Those are, those are really, really technical processes that require state-of-the-art technology. So we're working, we're working really closely with our suppliers to implement that as much as possible. And then in terms of, you know, personalization for the customer, it's, it's a little different for us. I, I want to say that our customers don't really respond to sustainability initiatives. It's not something that they're actively looking for, and that's to be expected. Not everybody's going to. Not everybody's going to be like actively looking to shop sustainably. The thing is, they shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. And that, that's our whole thing. They shouldn't. You shouldn't have to seek out sustainable clothing. You shouldn't have to make an, a huge effort to shop more responsibly. It should be the default, and it's not the consumer's fault. It's the brand. It's it, you know, it's it's the industry. The industry needs to provide better options. For, for customers to shop that are affordable, that are the same price as what they were looking for otherwise, you know? And it doesn't matter if they know that the shirt is 100% recycled, as long as it is. Mm-hmm. And, and until it becomes that commonplace and until it becomes the norm and the standard, no big progress is going to be made. Yeah, and I that's the big thing, right, is you guys have kind of laid the gauntlet down and you've, without having to say a word, you've kind of set the standard and said, okay, whether you do it or not, we can go to bed at night as a company knowing that we're being a part of, you know, helping the environment, saving the environment. And, and like simple things, I even like your packaging, you know, I use, uh, I use this, one of my favorite clothing brands is Bonobos and beautiful product, beautiful clothing, very expensive. But when they ship mm-hmm. it to me, like, I don't need you to send me this massive box with bubble wrap and all this nonsense, like just throw in the package, like, yeah, exactly. So, so even even the tuxedos that I order, it's very tightly wrapped in, and you know, uh, recyclable plastic that is reused. And it's like, all right, cool. I'm going to bring it to the dry cleaner anyway to get pressed out. And sometimes they'll do these cheeky little things where they'll send you, you know. So even even doing simple things like that is is you know putting the putting the flag in the sand and saying like this is where this is where we should all begin. And that's key. So from a from a copywriter advertising perspective, because again you just said it. And maybe the answer is like, we don't do anything. How do you communicate other than on the, on the website itself and other than just putting that number? Do you, do you have some cheeky kind of taglines or do you work in the sustainability or have you tried? Cause I know it's a tough paradigm there. It is a tough paradigm. And you know, it's, I'm kind of struggling two voices at once with it. I think because you want to be technical and informative and, you know, you want to you want to you want to teach the consumer about why 
this is a good product and what makes a good product and the work that went into making it a good product. At the same time, you don't want it to be boring and you don't want to get bogged down with the details mm-hmm. and for it to be like too technical. So yeah, I mean, sometimes I don't, I don't have a clear answer for you. Honestly, we do, we do market it obviously because we're proud of the product and we're proud of the product, the progress that we've made, but we don't make it a heavy, you know, it, it shouldn't be a marketing tactic. Mm-hmm. It really shouldn't be. It should be an operational default. And that's what we believe. So we don't make like huge campaigns around sustainability. We'll grow it in an Instagram caption. We'll make a LinkedIn post. We'll, we'll have, you know, an email featuring sustainable products, but we don't have huge marketing pushes around sustainability because that's, it shouldn't be a marketing tactic. It really shouldn't be. And we strongly believe that. But in terms of writing about it, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to compromise between wanting to be informative and fun at the same time. We have something that works out of the Paris office that helps us a lot with like legality and just like the, the kind of technical ins and outs of, of sustainability. And she's, she's really great about calling things out. Like I'll have in my copy, it says, I'll say, this saves water. And she's like, no, 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 you have to say it uses less water because you're still using water. So like little little things like that, you know, it's good to have somebody to keep me in check and call me out because as knowledgeable as I am on the topic, there's there's still so much, so much technology and technicality that goes into into making a sustainable product that, you know, you, you never you never have anything quite right. But I mean, that goes to say that I think that's proof that there's, there's so much misinformation about sustainability in the industry. And unfortunately, consumers do have to be really careful about how easily they buy into these marketing tactics. Yeah. And I think that as I ask the question and I hear your, your passion and your response behind it, it's, it's really, it, it proves that the authenticity of the brand of Adore Me, because if you were like, yeah, we write these taglines and it's super fun and we, we lead with sustainability. You're, you're right. It, it should just be a part of operations. It's a big part of what we do at Lamar. You know, obviously we have over 350,000 billboards that take vinyl that aren't our digital product. And we work with a handful of companies and third world countries that we donate those vinyls to, and they recycle them. You know, one of the companies make surfboard bags. Um, another one we use for local farmers or for, you know, when hurricanes or tornadoes come through to cover the roofs. But you know, it's definitely not something that we lead with, but to your point, it, it should be a part of operations and the way that you, you handle your business itself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, when, when we became a B Corp, we weren't, I, I was pretty uneducated in terms of the scoring system of B Corporation. So when I was looking at ours and I was comparing ours to a couple of other brands that, that started out with sustainability as their mission, and our, I was surprised myself to see that our score was significantly higher than brands like those. And you know, I, I was so surprised even being this involved in the process. So I think, you know, for any brand that is like looking to step into that space, it is not impossible. And I think our Adorme's overall goal is to kind of move the entire industry in the same direction. We are not trying to compete with other brands in terms of like who can be more sustainable. We want to help other brands move in the right direction because we want the entire industry to make a collective change. Yeah, I love that. The And I don't mean to go backwards, but the the pop culture side of of your job how does Layla stay involved in what's happening in pop culture and then because again there's a difference between an ad campaign which is very blurred lines or you tell me there's a difference between an ad campaign where you're like all right very structured we're going to come out valentine's day and this is going to be our you know ctv ad this is going to be our online ad this is going to be our social and then our our out of home ads compared to social posts 
how how do you stay involved with like all the pop culture? Or you, you may just say like I love it anyway, so it's a part of my life. And how do you separate? Yeah, because I would be writing taglines every night when I was like at dinner, or at the bar, or at the gym. I'd be like tagline, tagline. Talk, talk to me more about that because I'm always blown away by copywriters because I think that they're under underappreciated. The creative people are always like, oh, it's such great creative, and it's like, yeah, but the tagline is what what sealed it and made it made the purchase happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. And honestly, my answer as to how I like keep up is unfortunately I am just chronically online. <laughs> I spend so much time on more time online than I want to. Thankfully, I can use my job as an excuse, but I, I'm always online. I'm always consuming some sort of media, whether it's Twitter, or Instagram, or TikTok. I've tried to lean off TikTok a little bit, but it's hard. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, that's my answer. And I get a lot of inspiration just from like, you know, people are so funny online. Like, they just come up with the most creative and witty things, and it gives me a lot of inspiration. I, I've noticed that, you know, other people in my field, like they've had, I didn't take, you know, like creative marketing or like copywriting classes in school. So I was kind of, I was kind of, starting from scratch, I, I took English literature classes, which are, are very different <laughs> than, than creative copywriting. So I, w- I was kind of starting from scratch. They're just kind of like just consuming as much media as I can, whether it's like a book and a new book. Twitter is great. I love Twitter. I don't post very much myself, but I love seeing what people have to say. Yeah, that's really, and that's really all it is, is just consuming media and then finding ways to, to work it back to our product. Yeah, I was gonna say it was probably those fifty books that you read as well a year. So that that has yeah, a lot to do. And, and are you so heavily involved in like the next shows that are coming out on you know the different Hulu, Netflix, HBO Max, and and kind of weaving in? So you're given the liberty to just kind of be like, all right, Miley Cyrus flower song, boom, let's write some copy on yeah. that. So there's you don't have to really. Uh, I'm sure the legal team does like kind of. Hey, be careful to mention <laughs> things, but yeah, there's definitely. I don't know what I don't know what the the line is that I I can't cross. I do run things by our legal team just to make sure that I'm in the clear. And I don't know what their specific yeses and those are. They usually just give me the green light and then I go. But yeah, that that is something that I have to be cognizant of. In in terms of like TV, I I'm so bad at watching TV. I always I'll turn on a show and then I'll sit on my phone and look at Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm so bad at like paying attention to a TV show. And it's funny you ask that because what is oh the, like there was a bunch of drama about Vanderpump Rules. Yes. Recently, I know nothing about it, absolutely nothing. And our team was like, oh, like let's do an Instagram caption about it. And I was like, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to need you to help me draft it because I don't know anything. Right. Like I'll proofread it, but I'm going to trust you on this one. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's there's a heavy collaboration between you and the social team and kind of what, what's happening, what's keeping up with things. Yeah, yeah. I think what's really cool and I think a little bit unique about our team at Adorme is that we almost never like outsource creative Love it. direction at all. So our social media team, obviously our copywriting team, digital, you know, digital design, everybody is kind of in-house and we all sit pretty closely to each other. So we're always like coming, like just randomly coming up with like random ideas on the fly and we'll slack each other with any you know, random insight we have, but yeah, it, it makes for a quick turnaround for sure. And it also makes for just a lot of, of a lot of really cool collaboration. Yeah. And so as we kind of wrap up, I, I definitely want to touch a bit on the influencer economy and that's, that's become a yeah. huge word. And, you know, you and I were talking about this. It's, you guys don't have one or two like 
Kardashian or, or massively named celebrity that kind of represents the brand, but you kind of talked about it. You, it's kind of like a no influencer, just mega influencers. So tons of tiny, small. So talk about that a bit, like the, the ease of working with those, I guess you call them micro influencers, which is funny because I think half of my wife's friends are micro influencers, air quotes, <laughs> but, but they do, they do hold a very, very valuable role. And I'd love to learn more, like, especially on the category that, that adore me is word of mouth. And that's even bigger and social word of mouth and social posts, because, you know, at the end of the day, we always joke, like shopping for a guy is super easy. It's just like, cool. You wear, a, yeah. you wear a, um, you know, large slim and a jacket, like that's, and you buy it across all brands. So touch on that a bit, kind of the micro influencer and the importance of them. Yeah, I think, you know, influencer culture and just like influencers in general have grown so, so much in recent years. I think TikTok has a lot to do with that. But even before TikTok was a thing, like it was still growing pretty rapidly on Instagram. The problem with that is that you never, it becomes, the bigger it gets, the a little bit more ingenuine, I guess. You never know if like the influencer that you're, you're following is promoting a product because they actually love it. Or, you know, because they got paid to paid to promote it. I'm not above it. I would do it too. But like, you know, you, you never know if, if, if it's a genuine promotion or not. So what we kind of did to combat that risk, you know, it's an unconventional approach for sure. And it kind of ties into, you know, our mission of just overall inclusivity. But our technical team out of Bucharest created this platform. We call it the creators platform. Mm-hmm. And basically, it doesn't matter if you only have 100 Instagram followers, or if you have, I don't even know what's a lot, 140,000. Like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. If you enjoy the Adorme product and you want to promote it and kind of build your brand as an influencer, if that's a path that you see yourself going on, we are happy to send you a free product and you are free to promote it on your social media platform. And we are happy to promote it on ours and we're happy to promote your account on our account to kind of give you some traction and you know, it, it gives it gives smaller influencers and smaller creators some traction and it helps them build their base and their following. And it also gives Adore Me genuine reviews and like genuine reactions. So customers know that these aren't just people that are getting a check. Yeah, selling selling detox tea and then next thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's always a big joke <laughs> is like, why go to college when you could just sell detox tea on Instagram? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's key, right? Because it it goes to the base and it goes back to inclusivity and, and you guys representing, and I wouldn't just say it's just plus models, just like everyday, everyday models. Like if you go to your site, yeah, yeah, it's, it's every, every human that walks, walks the earth clearly has to wear the, wear the brand. So why not your brand? And I think it really goes back to that. Whenever you, you talk about the, the platform that you guys have created and, and the importance of the micro influencer, as opposed to just, you know, you could easily stroke a check for a hundred grand and pay some big influencer to write something about the product. But I don't know that that's the, that's the, the genuine authentic customer that is adore me. And, you know, that's what I yeah. love about what, what you kind of expressed uh, back in La Jolla and on the podcast so far. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are a lot of conversations that are had across the industry about like what's our target what's our target audience what kind of influencer do we want what kind of following do they have that's that's a difficult conversation for us because we can't it's hard for us to pinpoint who our customer really is it is everybody if you you know so many different ages so many different backgrounds and demographics if you look at a map of the united states 
and you look at a map of our sales, it's almost identical. Mm-hmm. We can't pinpoint one specific, you know, person to be our customer. So to be able to leverage the creators platform and to get to get creators from so many different backgrounds and so many different regions of the country, it only makes sense considering that things are not so specific customer that we're we're trying to target. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, when you, it makes your job, it makes your advertising job very difficult, right? Cause it's like, well, our, it does. Our yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, but it, at the end of the day, that's a great thing. And it, it's, um, I think that you, you do a fantastic job, everything that I've kind of learned over the past few weeks of knowing you and really researching. And even just if, if you take a glance across the website, like you see that it's like, to your point, it's every single zip code in the U S you can see those people. And, and especially being, air quotes, small town, which nothing aggravates me more than it's like, oh, well, you don't live in New York or LA. And I'm like, no, I live in Baton Rouge. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, that bothers me too. I get it. <laughs> yeah. And especially being a Chicago slash Cincinnati woman, it's, you know, it's, yeah, we, I always jokingly say like, hey, people in Baton Rouge or Kansas City or Pittsburgh watch movies too. Like you don't need to buy out of home yeah, exactly. in Times Square, <laughs> but we'll, we'll go along with the, the arrogance of of the big cities, but it's, I, I love that. <laughs> and I love that about the brand. And I love that your journey, hopefully some of the listeners that have listened today have been inspired. Like you may be in a role in a position that you're really good at, but is it your passion? And, you know, knowing you this short amount of time and, and watching you, you talk on stage and even on this podcast, like your passion kind of oozes out that it's like, man, what a, what a mistake it would have been if you not had that epiphany to change careers yeah. and change journeys. So yeah, we'd love any, any final words. Cause I, I could talk to you about this, the sustainability side, and we can go down the fun path of, of copywriting for sure. And the jabs, um, <laughs> but anything else you want to leave our listeners with? No, honestly, I don't think so. Uh, that was a great conversation, but thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. And it was, it's, always there to talk to you. Yeah. And like I challenged you before, like you have to be careful with those babysitters that are walking past the billboards, but there are definitely some out of home markets, i.e. Las Vegas, where we give you full reign to kind of explore and have fun and do whatever you want. So I'm excited to kind of see, see the Adore Me journey, the sustainability side, the inclusivity side of, of what you guys are doing and just the fun work that you'll continue to get to challenge the space with. So I appreciate your time. Yeah. And I'm so glad I get to call you a friend. And I'm so glad we ran into each other in La Jolla. Bye, Clarice, and it's been a pleasure. All right, my friend, have a great day. Digital and Dirt is brought to you by Lamar Advertising. To learn more, check out the links in the description or go to lamar.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, Apple, or other platforms where podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.